Hello, and welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and this is episode number 46, Prepping for Student-Led Conferences. Thank you to all of you that have reached out with so many warm messages about the celebration of E2E's second birthday. I really appreciated all the fun messages I got on Instagram and email, and I'm really glad you're back to listen to this episode. Today, we're actually going to flash back way back to a previous episode I recorded last year with Heather Campbell. So Heather Campbell, aka at Serious Giggles, was my first Instagram teacher friend. She's the first person on Instagram I had the guts to reach out to and say, hi, you don't know me. I just started this company and I have a podcast and would you be a guest? And she said yes. And guess what, you guys, Heather and I, we talk almost every single day now, either through Marco Polo or text or just sending messages. She is a ray of sunshine in my life. She is one of my biggest cheerleaders in this adventure. And not only that, she's an instructional coach for fourth and fifth grade teachers in Utah, and she is phenomenal. If you aren't following her on Instagram, you need to find her, at Serious Giggles. Heather is so smart, and and last year I interviewed Heather on the process of student-led conferences. So I'm going to have us go back and re-listen to that episode again. Here's the exciting thing. If you're an E2E member, Heather, oh, she just sent this to me this morning, hot off the presses. She sent me this like 40 page student led conference guide that she's giving to all the members for free. And this thing is so practical. It has everything you need for your kids to chart their progress and keep track of everything for their student led conference they're gonna have this fall. So members, make sure you check that out. Uh, that is now released in the September module. By the way, if you are not an E2E member, there is, I mean, there are so many reasons why you should be. It's $10 a month. It is literally two Starbucks coffees, one less lunch out. It is full of stuff and resources that you can go back to again and again. So if you want to check out that membership site, you guys know you can head to educators2educators.com. So we're going to throw it back to Heather. I have to say re-editing and listening to this podcast was weird for me because Heather and I were complete strangers when we recorded this podcast and now we are good, good friends. So it just goes to show sometimes if you put yourself out there and introduce yourself to someone, you might end up with an amazing friend. Let's kick it off with Heather. Today, I'm joined by an incredible educator, Heather Campbell, who's a fourth grade teacher from Utah and has been teaching for 11 years. Heather, thank you so much for joining us on Educators to Educators. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this opportunity. Heather, you and I connected via Instagram, which we will give you information at the end of the podcast so that you can all follow Heather because her classroom is just incredible. But we started talking about, you posted something about student-led conferences, which I also used in my classroom. And I just think is a phenomenal tool to help that uh, home to school connection. And I asked Heather to join us today to talk to us about what she's learned from implementing student-led conferences in her classroom. So we're gonna talk, as we always do, about three areas within this theme. We're gonna talk about student ownership. We're gonna talk about celebrating student accomplishments with their parents. 
and talk about how you can make this work for you in your classroom. But before we launch into this really interesting topic, Heather, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and maybe something interesting about you? Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I teach fourth grade in Southern Utah and I love teaching. I've taught for 11 years and I've taught first and second and third and fourth and it doesn't matter what grade I'm in, I swear that that is my favorite. Um, I started in first grade because reading has always been my passion and when I was in college getting my undergrad, um, reading was my minor. And so I knew immediately that I wanted to work with the younger grades to help them kind of get that foundation of reading that they would need. And I like to change grades. So I went from first, I took a couple years off. Um, I have four kids and I have twin boys. Oh, wow. So <laughs> You're a busy woman. Yeah. So I took a couple years off and then decided to go back to the classroom. And then I went to fourth grade and I fell in love with those older kids and just how far you can push them. It's not the same as first grade. In first grade, you see immediate growth. Um, but in fourth grade, it's a, it's a long process with them, but it's a different, it's different challenges, but it's different accomplishments too. Um, and then I went and did two years in second grade, two years in third grade, and I'm in my third year again in fourth grade. So I'm at fourth grade again, and I, I love it. It's great. We were saying how uh, you and I, what we have in common is we both did like changing grades. And I don't know a lot of teachers, maybe younger teachers are like, no, you know, I'm just so comfortable in the grade I'm in. But can you talk a little bit about why you like to change grades? I do. I love the change. And I feel like it has definitely made me a better teacher because I can see where the kids have come from and I know exactly where they need to be. And as an upper grade teacher, because it's fourth grade, I don't feel like there's very many upper grade teachers that have taught the younger grades. It's very separate, I feel, in most elementaries as you have the upper grade kids and or the upper grade teachers and you have the lower grade teachers and they don't cross a whole ton. So being able to come from the younger grades with my reading background to the upper grades, it's helped so much. I can see so much benefit of being in multi-grades and it keeps me on my toes. I like to change stuff anyway. Every year, like I don't save anything because I feel like I should always be trying to find something specifically for this group of kids that I'm working with. So I might as well change grades if I'm doing it all yep. again anyway. That, I'm kind of crazy <laughs> I, that way. I, I know how you feel though. And you're right, it does keep you on your toes. Um, and, and especially you have four kids at home. So you sound like a super woman to me. So with my four kids, I feel like I have a different perspective on it because three of my, three of my four kids are on IEPs, which has made me understand parents a whole lot better. And one of my sons has sensory processing disorder as well as ADHD. And so I, it has made me bring different techniques into the classroom 
and I understand what kids go through on a daily basis a whole lot better. I for sure have empathy for parents more and for students and what they're going through in the classrooms. Um, that's amazing. I, I, I feel like you should write a book because it is hard <laughs> as a teacher if you've never experienced that in your own home. It is hard to, to relate just as it's very hard for teachers maybe sometimes to relate to kids who are gifted. Yes. So, yes. wow, that's that's phenomenal. And thanks for sharing that with us. Um, and I think that's a great segue way into talking about student-led conferences. So let's start off by just talking, what are student-led conferences? So student-led conferences are a technique where the kids take ownership of what they've been doing in class. And it's a way to get them invested and engaged in the whole process of, you know, parent-teacher conferences where it's not a teacher and parent talking to each other and the kid is not involved. It brings the students in as this equal, important body where we're all working together to help them with their education, to help them socially, to help them reflect on what we want them as teachers and as the parent to improve on and to learn. And we're just, we're almost like a big community, just the three of us working together. So we just end up being these invested people working together to help the student any way that we possibly can. So the student knows that they are the number one person that we are looking out for, but they also know that they are invested in it also. So they have a say in what is going on and they are constantly doing their own reflecting on how their test scores are, and what they're doing in class and their goals. So I feel like when the kid comes to parent-teacher conferences, there's never any guesswork of what is the teacher yeah. gonna say about yeah. me? You know, what is my mom gonna say? She's gonna come home and how is my mom or dad gonna respond? There's never any of that because they know coming into the conference exactly what's gonna be said. They know what's gonna be talked about. They know their grades, they know their goals. So it just makes them more invested into their education. And it was such, it's funny. I mean, there's just a thousand reasons why student-led conferences are just so awesome. And if you've never tried them, once you do it once, I don't think you'll ever go back. But for me, like, it was hard. The pressure of conferences, like I would write out these note cards and it was just me and the parent and like never knew what they were going to ask me. And I was trying to, I had a bunch of evidence and a folder on the student, but I was trying to remember back to everything that had happened over that quarter. And what I found when I went to student-led conferences was that the student actually remembered the important milestones. And they were the ones that brought, you know, the tougher times up and said, hey, you know, I failed at this, but this is how I recovered from it. And so I don't know about you, but oh my gosh, I was much less exhausted after I had student-led conferences than when it was teacher-led. Absolutely, and that's kind of how I feel in the classroom too, is the teacher should not be the only one to go home at the end of the day exhausted. 
like those students should be putting in as much energy and as much effort as the teacher is. And it's the same way with student-led conferences. Like the kids are helping you prepare for those conferences. And I feel that's the way it should be. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about that student ownership. So how do students own, and, and maybe actually, can you tell us what, you know, you have conferences, the parents sign up for what, 15 minutes do you have at your, ours were 15 minutes, how long are yours? Yeah, we have 15 minutes. Okay, so then the student comes with their parent and sits down in the classroom, and what does it look like? What are you doing in that conference? They do. So up until that point, um, the kids, you want the kids to be confident when they walk into the student-led conference, and they know what their role is, and we have practiced and they have prepared. And so when they come in, they know, they sit down and they kind of welcome their parents to the conference and tell them, thank you for coming and kind of go through an outline of, I'm gonna go through um, my favorite part of this year so far. I'm really proud of these areas that they've been working on. And these are the areas I still want to work on. And together, you know, with the student and the parent and the teacher, this is how I'm going to accomplish these things. This is how I'm going to get better in these areas. So the kids come very prepared and they know what they're coming into. So it's almost like, I feel like it's a job interview sometimes where the kid is in charge and it's great. And to see the confidence on their face and the parents, I think, love it more than anybody because the parents are amazed at how much the kids know about their own education and about their own test scores and just the reflection that the kids have been doing nonstop is kind of eye-opening for the parents. Now, do the students fill out some type of, like, do you spend time the week before, and, and we're going to get into this student ownership, but just so that our listeners know what this looks like, like, do you have a folder with each student in which they've prepared things that they're sharing with their parents. So for instance, do they do a sheet that's like their strengths, what they want to improve? Like, what does that actually look like? Yeah, so we, each student has their own binder and it is a year long process. Like we are constantly working on them. So they will graph every single math test and they will graph every spelling test, reading comprehension test, science test, social studies test. So really any test that is going to end up on their report card, they graph it um, each Monday. So every single Monday, they know that they come in and there's something that they are going to graph. And it's all very organized and there's sections in it so it's not like the week before conferences we're kind of running around and having to get stuff together because it's really together and we've been preparing for it the entire year up until that point so the kids it pushes them also because they can start to see immediately if they're falling in a certain subject or if there's a specific concept that they don't understand, they know it immediately as soon as they go to graph that test score because they're looking at what they've been doing over the whole year. 
Gotcha. And so that actually just leads right into the student ownership, as you're saying, they're collecting their own data and they're owning it. Yeah. And, and now it's funny because I think about, okay, people are saying, well, you're in fourth grade, your students can do this. Like first graders can do this, right? Like if you train them, right, it's going to take a little bit more front loading, but they can easily create bar graphs or, you know, a graph in which they're showing, you know, different scores. Do you oh, think? absolutely. One of my boys um, in his first grade, they did something similar to this and they would, the kids would graph it and the numbers are all filled out on the side, you know, and the graph is already made. So the kids are just having to go in and color a box, but it's great. And what a better way to teach them like data analysis and actual graphing, like you don't get more real life than that. No, you do not. <laughs> so when the students are looking at this, um, can you talk to me about like how the students set their goals at the beginning of the semester or quarter? And are you talking about the fact that their parents, they're gonna discuss these goals with their parents? Yeah, so they know from the beginning that they will be talking to their parents about it. And each week we set many goals in class individually. So I feel like it's extremely important for the students to be reflecting on what they've done in class and how their week went, um, what was good about it. So every Friday they come in and they just know first thing in the morning, there's a weekly reflection for them on Friday. And so they will, write a little bit about what they did in language arts and math and science or social studies, but they'll tell me whether the concept was difficult, whether they got it, whether they liked it or didn't like it, what their favorite activity was, um, and then they set a goal for the next week. So sometimes their goals are simple, like I'm gonna raise my hand more in class. It could be that they're trying really hard to get 90% or above on a math test that they know is coming this next week. Um, and then they tell me something that I should know. And I think this is the really eye-opening part for me is, I mean, the kids can tell me anything. So it could be that grandma is coming into town or mom and dad has been really sick. Some of them will tell me that they have a basketball game or a dance recital and they want me to come to it. So it could be anything. So I really find out what's going on in their life, in their house, um, that really can start to affect schoolwork. So it gives me an inside perspective of what is going on with that child. So yeah, we're constantly reflecting. So for them to then set a, you know, a trimester goal or a yearly goal really isn't that difficult and then when it's time to look back on, okay, this is what I'm really proud of, and this is the area I need to work on, I feel like we've been doing it every single week that the kids can kind of just flip through their reflections because I do have them keep their reflections in their data binder so that they're always looking at them and they can see their growth and they can be like, man, I, I really wanted to try and get you know, 80% on my spelling test. And for three weeks in a row, I've done it. So there's these little celebrations going on all the time. One of the things you said was that we need to allow time for reflection. And 
I think that I'm very passionate about emotional intelligence and mental health and that we need to teach that in our schools. We need to teach our kids about stopping and thinking about our emotions and what we're feeling and thinking about, you know, our progress and how much we've grown. And as adults, it's easy to go, 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 and never stop and think about our own growth and our own feelings. And I like that you're, you're showing kids, you're modeling how important it is to stop and reflect. Yeah. I think with kids, I think it's hard for kids these days growing up in this time. And I think it's important for them to be able to stop and be like, do you know what? I did great. I have made huge accomplishments. I maybe had a bad week and that's okay because I'm gonna learn from it and I'm gonna be able to move on because they're they are really hard on themselves a lot of the time. And so for them to be able to look and be like, dang it, I'm awesome. Like I should be proud of myself. I think it's really important. My favorite kids were the ones that kind of had the chip on the shoulder. Like they were too cool for school or they were like angry because unfortunately they had a horrible situation going on at home. And so they would come to school just, you know, angry. And I loved when they had accomplishments and they would just like get that little crack of a smile. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like that kid that you're like, you got it, you got it, you you improved on that math. You did, and you can just get them to crack that tiny smile. I think those are some of my favorite kids. Those are the kids where they're never going to come out and tell you, do you know what? Like, thank you so much for helping me, but you can tell. And yes, if you can get that little smile out of them, you're like, all right, I've done it. Like. My year is just made because I think that you maybe believe in yourself a little bit more and you might actually like coming here. Well, and it's really interesting too, like talking about student celebration um, in front of their parents. I have to tell you this little story. So when I was in fifth grade, my mom got married. She was a single mom up to that point. And she, we moved from Iowa to Indiana. And I moved in the middle of fifth grade, which is a tough time to move. Um, I went from Catholic school to public school. So, you know, I no longer wore a uniform and there were a lot of changes. And I remember my parents went to my first teacher conference and I did, I wasn't allowed to go. And I, all I remember them talking about when they got home was that the teacher said, Carrie talks about her old school and friends too much. And like, I remember that to this day, they probably said other things, but like, think about it. Had I been sitting in that room with my parents and with the teacher, think of how much we could have solved emotionally for me, right? Absolutely. That's so funny because there are, I am thinking back right now on, it was probably either second grade or third grade. And I was... I was a well-behaved kid, you know, but for my mom to come home, like I was on pins and needles of like, what is the teacher going to say about me? What is she going to say? And I can remember my mom coming in and telling me exactly what the teacher said. And sometimes it was heartbreaking. You know, sometimes there was, obviously there were great things, but it's stressful as a kid to worry what the teacher is saying about them and does the teacher like me or am I doing it right? Because really kids do want 
to do their very best and they do want the teacher to like them. But for the kid not to be involved, it's very, it's stressful. And I don't think there's any reason that that actually should be happening. No. And you could solve so much. Yeah. Back to that moment. Had my teacher just said like, Carrie, like, are you having a hard time making friends? Like, why are you talking about your school? What did you like there that you don't have here? I mean, we could have had a real conversation in which I felt like they actually cared about me. And it's yeah. said, like, I didn't want to go to school the next day. And I didn't of course, ever, yes. like, I felt like so isolated. And so I just sticks out to me so much. And I like what you're saying here is like, um, you are working as adults sitting in around a table to celebrate the child. So can you talk a little bit about that, about how um, you've seen that play out in your classroom? Yeah, I love parents in my classroom. Like, as often as I can, I have parents in my classroom helping with the reading groups or different activities. So I probably have a parent in my class for an hour every single day helping with something because I always want the parent to feel like they're welcome in the classroom and that they are a big part of this whole learning process too, because they really are a huge part of it. And they're sharing their child with me and I'm spending so much of the day with them. But, and I can say this because I'm a parent and also a teacher, so I do see both sides of it. We sometimes don't know the good things that are children are doing in the classroom. And sometimes it gets overlooked because they come home and maybe they don't talk about it or the teacher doesn't bring it up because it's hard as a teacher to notice every single good thing the kid is doing and make sure that the parents see that too. So this way the parents are there and the kid is there and gets to tell their parent how excited they are because they've improved this much on the test or look at this, look at the score I had or mom, I was trying really hard to raise my hand more in class. And you know what, I've been doing it. So I do think it's important for the parents to be there with the teacher, with the child and the student and you're all celebrating together. Cause I don't think that happens very often. I feel like there's for sure disconnect between all of the parties involved. And when we all come together, it has made it to where parents are excited to come, students are excited to come, and I feel like I have a better relationship with the parents because they know that I'm there to celebrate their kid and they everyone goes home happy. You know what's interesting too, Heather, and I don't mean to go to the negative side of this, but also learned a lot and I taught in Chicago public schools um and there were a lot of you know different types of families and I think you find that everywhere in the United States right but yeah. Yeah. there were times when I did these student-led conferences that I would have a mom or a dad sitting with the student and I saw the dynamic in the way the parent talked to or spoke to or treated the student and sometimes it unlocked a lot of aha moments for me. Um, maybe the parent only looked for the negative. Yes, I have definitely had that too. And it is eye-opening and it's sad, but it, I feel like it's something that the teacher needs to be aware of because I have been able to make sure that I'm focusing more on the positive at school. I have had one 
Um, and it was the student and her dad. And the student is like the perfect child in class, very well behaved. Um, she's always trying to do what she's supposed to do. And if she doesn't understand something, she makes sure that she'll ask, you know, I don't get this. How can you help me? And I help. And she's always like, thank you so much for helping. Like, I appreciate you taking the time to help me. And as I sat in this conference with she and her dad, her dad could not say a positive thing about her. Yep. And he constantly talked about how lazy she was and she doesn't work hard, you know? And I was able to be like, I don't see that. Like in class, she is not like that. But I couldn't believe, you know, like you said, the dynamic between the two and what he was saying in front of her to where I was like, I have got to, you know, step up making sure that they know how great she's doing in class. And sometimes, unfortunately, well, we can't change parents, right? Yeah, We can't change the way we play the parent at home, but we can provide this safe and loving and supportive environment in the hours that we have them in our classroom. And so for me, it unlocked, man, I'm really hard on so-and-so maybe I need to take a different approach or maybe I need to just mental note, making sure twice a day I'm giving them that reassurance because this might be the only place they hear someone give them positive feedback. Absolutely. That's so true. I mean, gosh, we have hard jobs as educators. <laughs> but you it's so for working. sure have a lot of hats. Yes, yeah. you're always looking for something. It's not just teaching. That is for darn sure. You said that you've seen an increase in parent attendance. So talk about that because, hey, listen, we used to have like pizza party competitions at our school (laughs) for the highest attendance. So talk to me about that. You've seen an increase in parent attendance? Yes, absolutely. And just this past parent-teacher conference, I had 100%, which doesn't happen, which hasn't happened in the past. But it was funny because I had this parent And she told me later and she said, you know, I just have to apologize to you because I had just had surgery like two days before and I wasn't feeling very good, but my daughter would not let me miss. So the kids, the kids are so excited to get the parents there. And I think that's part of it too, is it's not just the parents anymore that need to remind themselves that they need to go like those kids know what day their conference is and what time their conference is and they have practiced and they are prepared for this and so they there's for sure some pressure from the kids in order to get the parents there and i think it's a lot different also when the parent is coming to listen to their own child yep not just the teacher saying, all right, this is how it's going. It's the student, their child saying, I want to tell you what I've been doing in class and I'm going to show you all this progress that I've made. Or even, you know, mom, we, I've had some problems in class lately and we're going to work together to solve it and I need your help. So parents want to be there, but even more, the kids want the parents to be there. Yeah, that's That is incredible. So talk about, you know, we've talked about students taking ownership and that power. We've talked about the power of having the parents sitting there 
talk about the work on the teacher and how a teacher can make this work for them. Yeah, and I think that as teachers, we're extremely hard on ourselves and we'll try something and if it doesn't work the first time, we're like, oh, it worked for somebody else, but it didn't work for me. So it's really important to find something that is manageable Mm -hmm. and something that can work for you because if you don't see yourself being able to follow through with this, you won't do it. So in each class, I think it's going to look different um, because you can't compare what is happening in your class at your conference to what is happening in somebody else's classroom and in their conferences. So for me, I knew that I, of course, wanted the kids doing a lot of reflection and I tried um, several different graphs that they would do or different data that they would collect. And so it's a lot of trial and error to find what worked for me because it needs to be something that I can see through the entire year. Because if I'm starting this, I have got to carry it out for the whole year or I'm not, it's not just me that I'm stopping it on. It's the kids that are stopping it. And I would almost be letting them down in the whole process. So it needs to be something that works for you and you start small. So I've always done student reflections on Fridays when they come in. And so from there, I was able to then set bigger goals and okay, now let's start graphing stuff. And at first I would have them graph their data on, you know, just whenever the test got corrected. But then that didn't work because I was taking too much time from class doing it. So then it was like, okay, Mondays is our day. And they come in on Mondays and they know that's the day that they're going to graph. And it takes a lot of modeling at first. But, you know, in the end, just like anything else, if you want it to be successful in your class with a lot of modeling, they're going to be able to do it in the end. So it's a lot of time up front and it's been a lot of tweaking but I think I finally have it in an area, in a spot where it's successful. But there's been other teachers, um, even on my team, who have tried it and it hasn't worked for them because um, maybe there wasn't the buy-in from them or you know, you just can't take something from somebody else and think it's immediately going to be put in place in your classroom the same way. So it is a lot of, let me try this and see if it works and what can I personally handle at this point? You know, and and it's interesting too, because maybe you're like, okay, well, I can't do this data or my students can't handle that or it's too much. Start simple, have your student-led conference start getting ready a few weeks before or whatever and just say okay go through your portfolio find something you're proud of find something you didn't understand and find something you want to work on or just come up with little categories like that and then have them fill out you know there's forms all over the place for student-led conferences right like start with those three things and then prepare like you would for a normal conference and just know the child's going to be sitting there. And the thing I always say when I was mentoring new teachers is there, if there's a big problem going on, like you see a learning disability surfacing or there's an emotional problem, the conference is not the first time that the parent should be hearing about it. Absolutely. Yes. So 
there should not be a problem with, okay, student, uh, you kick us off and then I'm going to lead the last, you know, seven or eight minutes of this and start there. Start small. Yeah, absolutely. You just need to be able to start somewhere, wherever it is. And I think I remember back to when I started this, I worked at a school where the kids were required to come to conferences. And so it was at that point where I was like, well, if they're here, why aren't they helping with this? You know? Yeah. And so from that point, I was like, okay, so it was, it's just been little baby steps. And I've done this for several years at that point, but I add something every single year that's a little bit different from the year before because I feel like I can take more on or I know what has worked and what would be more successful. But yeah, so even if it is just starting with having the child come to conference with you and setting goals right there together, because that's what I remember, that's what I started with is we would have a goal sheet and together we would set goals. And now I have it where the kids set their goals before going into the conference for the next trimester. And then the parents can kind of sit there and maybe edit the goal a little bit or kind of talk about if there's a different goal to come up with. But yeah, start at a spot where you can manage it. But I think just getting the students involved would be the first step. I love it. Well, I... You're making me miss the classroom. And, um, <laughs> it, it's been a, an emotional journey thinking back to my fifth grade conferences. But Heather, I mean, I just so appreciate you being willing to connect with me and, and be on this podcast and talk about the incredible work you're doing around student-led conferences. Thank you. And thank you again for kind of bringing out my passion in some of this. I've enjoyed kind of analyzing why I do some of the things that I do and looking at what works and thinking how can this work for other teachers because I do think that this is something that any teacher could use in their classroom. So thank you so much for letting me speak about this and bring it up and share my passion with others. Heather, before you go, you have an incredible Instagram account that I want other teachers to follow. So can you tell us how to find you on Instagram? Yes, I am on Instagram and my name is Serious Giggles in just one word. And I just post a lot of different teacher things on there, things I'm doing in the classroom, um, different quotes, it's just kind of a fun way. I've really enjoyed connecting with other teachers over Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at educators, the number two educators, or on Facebook at educators to educators. Thank you for joining us this week. And until next time, keep on teaching on.